Welcome back to our love story, Kyle. Are you guys excited? Talk about love and dating. Oh, it's so much fun. We had so much fun this past Sunday. For those of you that were at LTC launch, it was a crazy evening. God moved in some really powerful ways and did some really cool things. So if you're there, you know that it was a party. And we had like four billion balloons, so that was fun. Thank you to my donors who bought those balloons. I don't know why I was thanking them. None of them are here. We don't, like, it's not a live stream. So anyways, for those of you that are with us for the first time this evening, thank you so much for joining us. We really are thankful that you're here. It's exciting when we get new faces. Hope you feel welcomed and loved here at Chi Alpha. The weather is warming up. Can I get an amen for that? That's exciting. We can praise that no matter what. Oh, I hate snowballing so much. So let's get all this snow gone. Hallelujah. It's an exciting time to be in Chi Alpha as we continue our love story. So for Taylor and I, our dating story is a little strange. The spring before my freshman year of college, I got my first real girlfriend. And we dated for a few months, and then we broke up right before I headed off to college in Minnesota. As I said last week, when I was very young, I desperately wanted a spouse So after that relationship in high school ended, I was an emotional wreck. Like, she could have been the one. We dated for three months, and I was heartbroken. I remember when my parents dropped me off at college. So we went to a park. I don't know if that's, it was like a whole weekend long thing where I went to college, so we had to spend like the whole weekend there. They drove me to a park, and we just had like an emotional weekend. It was really weird. I remember we were sitting there. And I'm just sad. And some girls run by. Like, I think they're part of one of the college track teams. And I'm like, I'll never find a girl like them. And they're running. And I was so sad. The part that's a little creepy with this is then my, my mom's a weirdo. So my parents and I got into a car and, like, followed them to see what college they went to. To see if maybe I could win them. That was so weird. Again, I was desperate. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Amen. All right, let's go back to the park. I remember I'm looking out, there's like a lake, I'm looking out in the distance and I'm thinking thoughts about my eternity, my eternal love, I'm going to be alone forever. And then my big brother texts me and says, hey, I think he was sick of me moping around. I think my parents were texting him and said, like, dude, you need to figure this out. Your brother's being a weirdo right now. And he texts me and said, hey, look up this girl named Taylor Harmon on Facebook. See, my older brother Daniel had my job as the Chi Alpha director before I did, and Taylor was a student in Chi Alpha. So he said, look her up. There are good Christian girls out there. And this might be a little bit TMI, so please hold with me. But I remember I was in a porter potty. <laughs> looking at her Facebook profile, contemplating whether or not I should add her. And I think I added her on Facebook while I was going to the bathroom. So cheers, love at first sight. A few weeks later, I'm in the car with one of my other brothers, Aaron, and we're just driving around, and I get a Facebook message from this Taylor Harmon. And she's telling me, hey, you should come to this Chi Alpha Fall Retreat. My brother put her up to it. And I'm like, oh, she's cute. She wants me to come to this retreat. I better go. Had nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. The only reason I came was because I was rather desperate and I thought she was cute. So I get to the campground a few weeks later and I'm just sitting there waiting for her to show up. She was late. We love her, right? It's okay. But I remember when she walked in, I told you guys this last week, she said, oh, you must be Derek. I think we're going to get married, right? I was pumped. I was stunned. I'm like, oh, it's happening. She was joking, I later learned, but you know, I thought like love at first sight, come on. So the rest of that night though, 
I felt really awkward. Again, like I wanted to like marry this woman that I just met because I wanted to marry a woman. But I also am a pretty awkward person. So I was like, okay, now what do I do? So I avoided Taylor, kind of like the plague. I remember we had a pizza party in that fall retreat night and she came and sat next to me trying to build conversation, right? And I took my chair and I was like, and scooted it away from her, put my back to her and put my, be- my face towards Daniel, my brother, because I just didn't know what to say to her. So I just slowly, after each question, one inch at a time, so my back would be eventually to her. The next day, people keep cracking jokes, like, oh, they're going to get married. This is all going to work out. And I had an epiphany. I'm like, I can't screw this up. This one might actually work out. So I pursued her. I worked past my awkwardness and put on the Quinby charm. It's not very charming, to be honest. <laughs> we flirted most of that day. If you know anything about fall retreat before COVID, we'd have a flag football tournament. I played my heart out that flag football tournament. I'm like, what's up? I'm the next Tom Brady, baby. <laughs> the next chubby Tom Brady would have probably been a better way to put that, but that's I. Right. And then we stayed up all night that night around a bonfire getting to know each other. I pursued Taylor. My friends, especially my older brother Daniel, helped me out. And from that weekend on, we were on a journey towards marriage. We were far from perfect in our relationship, but the fact that every step of the way we had marriage in mind was a very good thing. We knew that we were on a trajectory towards something. We wanted to make sure that we were headed in the same direction. This is what dating is. It's finding someone you're interested in, pursuing them, getting to know them, and trying to figure out if this person could be the person that you spend the rest of your life with. It's that simple. That's it. That's all I got. See you next week. Oh, you guys, just, okay, you're, okay, I'll just keep going. So maybe you're here and you're in a dating relationship or you're in an engaged relationship, and you've been trying to figure out, what am I doing? And if you're honest with yourself, you feel kind of lost in this world of dating. You need direction. Your relationship feels all right, but it doesn't feel perfect. You need to figure out how to date well. Maybe your relationship is out of balance. Maybe you're spending all of your time, all of your energy, all your thought life, all you think about is this person and making sure your relationship is perfect and your relationship is your idol. Or maybe dating is just something you do for fun. You don't give a whole lot of weight to it. You don't think a whole lot about it. Just get on Tinder for once in a while and try to go through the motions. You just date to date. You don't have a whole lot of intentionality. You're just along for the ride. Or maybe you're here and you're single. Amen, single people. Come on. You're my favorite. (laughs) Woo! I was going to make a joke about Leo. He's a guy I hang out with a lot, and he's single. He's the only single guy in our our small group, but I love him so much. Let's give Leonard a round of applause. Come on. (laughs) Ladies, he's single. And ready to mingle. I'm just kidding, buddy. He's so mad at me. Last week, we talked about the gift of singleness. But maybe you're sitting here and you're honest with yourself. You do not want that gift. You're like, you can return that. Take that back. Instead of the gift of singleness, you want the gift of what I learned is called a guy simping after you. That's a term, right? I'm correct. Is that naughty? I'm getting some dirty looks. If I'm not supposed to say that, we can cut that out. But I thought it was an okay word. You want a guy to buy you flowers. You want a guy that puts on his best jean jacket. You know the best guys have a jean jacket, right? You want them to put that on and come up to your doorstep and say, my love, I'm here for you. I know a lot of us have a history of relationships. These can be good relationships or bad ones. Maybe you have a lot of baggage. You've had terrible relationships in your past, and you have a lot of guilt about some past struggles you've had in your relationship. And the burden of these relationships have a stronghold on your life, and they tend to eat at you. Or potentially, you're in a bad relationship right now. You're currently in a relationship that, if you're honest with yourself, it might not be what's best. What are you to do? 
Maybe you're thinking, my boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't love Jesus, but I love them. Tonight, we're continuing our love story with our rising action. We're in the rising action, like a plot diagram. So, you know, the rising action, seventh grade English. Come on, somebody. We're in the buildup. This is the great tension builder known as dating. Last week, we talked about waiting patiently, whether that meant you're waiting well in singleness, waiting well in a dating or an engaged relationship, or just waiting well in life, how God has called us to wait patiently. And if we are single, while we're waiting patiently, we need to ask this question, am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? We must look to become like Jesus in every season of life. And this is the key to finding the right future spouse or becoming the right future spouse. Last week, we laid the foundation with our once upon a time, and now we must move on to the next part of our story. The beautiful part about dating, this is my favorite thing about it, is that dating was not a concept when Jesus was alive. It didn't exist. They had arranged marriages. So the Bible says practically nothing on dating. Doesn't that make it so easy for us tonight? I'm just going to be real with you all. Usually what I do is I read something in the Bible. Like, that's good. So I come, I read it to you. I tell you what it means, tell you how to apply it to your life, and that's, that's it. I'm not that creative. Dating, we got to get a little crazy because it doesn't say this is what you are to do when you're dating. But luckily for us, there is a love story in the Bible that is kind of like a dating story. This story is told in the book of Song of Solomon. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll be using a lot of it. Some people think this book, Song of Solomon, is actually an allegory to our relationship with God. They think it's not about a romantic relationship, but about just you and God. However, if I'm honest, I think it's, about a, it's a story of a couple falling in love. John Mark Comer, the author of this book, Loveology, which is where everything that I say comes from, so if you want to read or want to learn more, Loveology by John Mark Comer, again, it's all here. He agrees with me that this is the story of a king and a shepherd girl falling in love. This story in Song of Solomon also gives us some tips on what it looks like to date well. Our world is so broken in regards to romance. Divorce rates are growing. Hookup culture is on the rise. Sex is becoming a thing that happens outside of a loving, covenantly committed relationship. And there's a growing amount of children that are growing up without one of their parents in the home. God wrote this story in Song of Solomon to show us what love looks like in our messed up, broken world. Romance is a wonderful, God-given thing, but God has placed boundaries on it to protect us. So we're going to use different parts of this story throughout the night. And these different parts of the story are centered on four marks of a healthy dating relationship. There's four marks of a healthy dating relationship that John Mark Comer comes up with in his book. The first mark is the chase. Then we have the line the friends, and the journey to the day. Here's our outline for the night. The chase, the line, the friends, and the journey to the day. Before we jump in, I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I pray that every person in this room hears from you tonight, God. Whatever you want for our future in dating or romantic relationship, God, will just be told to us tonight, God. I pray that you just can speak through me, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. If you get one thing tonight, this is it. The rising action of our love story is dating with intentionality. The rising action of our love story is dating with intentionality. That word intentionality is very important. I'm gonna say it a lot tonight. We need to be intentional with how we date. It's so crucial. Mark one, the chase, happens in the beginning of our love story in Song of Solomon. 
So this is the part of the story where the guy asks the girl out. Think of it as like that time's version of a guy sliding into the girl's DMs. So that's where we're at in Song of Solomon 2, 8 through 13. It says this, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. Come on, somebody. We need some men leaping over mountains up in here. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Isn't that so romantic? Come on, you can't tell me God's not a romantic. I want to see some of these dudes running like a gazelle. Anyways, I'm sorry. I just had a weird visual. I'll just keep that in the past. Two times in this passage, the guy calls out to his beloved and says, Arise, come away. Men, talking to you right now, we cannot just sit on our couches and expect women to come to us. You can't just play Fortnite all day long and think the perfect bride is going to show up out of nowhere. It's not how that works. We have to get up. We got to leap over some mountains, run like a gazelle, and ask her out. Mm. <laughs> some of the girls are like, mm-hmm, I'm coming for you in a second. <laughs> this is the man's job. The man's job is to pursue the woman and let her know that he is after her, or else she's never going to know. You might be thinking, that's so old school. Why is that the man's job? Well, we learn this in Genesis 2. This is the very beginning of the Bible. This is the story of the first couple, and it's Adam and Eve, and Adam leads Eve. This isn't the only time. Throughout all of Scripture, every relationship we see, the man is leading the woman. This is the repeated pattern. Men are called to lead, and even though you aren't married yet, men, you can take the initial step of leading women by pursuing her. And hold up. Before you get mad at me, before ladies get angry, I get it. I see like the little lasers coming on me. Let me say this, though. This kind of leadership is not domineering. Comer says this. By lead, I do not mean boss around, take charge, dominate, intimidate, or any other stupid thing that men have done in the name of the Bible. I mean step out, take responsibility, care for, listen to, serve, and risk. Amen. Come on, somebody. We need some servant men leaders. So women, don't be angry at me. That kind of leading is what I'm talking about. This is how men lead. You serve your woman. You take risks for her. And this begins by the chase, by not being scared to put yourself out there. Leadership, according to the Bible, is servanthood. It isn't you come serve me. It's how can I serve you to lead you better. And that is the call for the man. Men are to pursue women in a way that makes them feel safe. Throughout this story, the king makes his woman feel safe. We must note, though, that this is not a one-way street. This is not an excuse for men to force themselves upon women. The interest needs to be mutual. You can't just say, I choose you, Pikachu, and you go after them. <laughs> she needs to like you back. And if she's not interested, take a step back and leave her alone, all right? Amen. However... The man's never going to know it's mutual unless the woman tells him. 
In the beginning of the book of Song of Solomon, the woman says, your love is better than wine. Draw after me. Let us run, baby cakes. She did not play hard to get. She let him know that she's waiting at the door. He just needs to come and knock. Ladies, you cannot hide away and expect the guy to come like a gazelle. You got to be out and ready to see the gazelle running through the fields. Your man may be running through the mountains to see you, but you're hiding. The point is, it's up to the man to pursue the girl and ask her out. But let's make sure the interest is mutual. Too often, we blame our environments, right? You're like, there's no Jesus-loving man or woman anywhere around here. I'm in a group with 100 other college students that are all relatively single, but there's none for me. None are good enough. Their beards aren't long enough. They're not pretty enough for me. They only read their Bible six times a week, not seven days a week. And I can't meet the one because it's some external factor. When in actuality, you're never putting yourself out there to get to know people. So you do not have a chance to find the perfect spouse because you've never had a conversation with the opposite gender. Your passivity is not God's fault. We pray, God, send me a spouse, and you need to talk to someone that you're interested in. For most people, the woman doesn't come to you and say, I think we're supposed to get married. Some of us are divinely blessed. Thank you. (laughs) We cannot be too scared of rejection that we never put ourselves out there. We live in a world that's so scared to be rejected that I don't want to be let down, and this leads to less and less romantic conversations. In fact, young people are having less sex than they've had in the past 50 years, and as much as I'd love to say that's because a revival's breaking out and people want to see abstinence and they're being fully devoted to the Lord, that is not the case. There are actually two reasons behind the less sex in our generation. The first one is porn. It just got awkward. (laughs) Porn is fulfilling the need in people's lives, and it's giving our generation a messed up view of what sexuality is. It's not the only reason behind less sex, though. Another huge factor is that our generation struggles with having conversations and flirting because of the rise of the digital age. If you can't flirt and seduce somebody, sex becomes rather difficult. Unless you're just so dang attractive that the opposite gender just running after you because you've got the huge biceps and they're just like, you don't have to talk to me, you're just such a stud. And they tackle you. For the rest of us that are not as blessed, we have to talk to them. We must learn how to have conversations with the opposite sex. This means be friends with the opposite gender. There's these things called missional communities where you've got a sister or a brother small group. The point of them is not speed dating. Hear me. We are not trying to hook you up with them. But if love happens, you're welcome. (laughs) I think the biggest issue that we have with asking people out on dates, hear this, is we find our self-worth in their response. If they respond positively, then I'm good. I am worthy because this person has a good opinion of me. If they say no, I am worthless because they don't like me. And this is false. Our self-worth does not come from what the opposite gender thinks. It comes from our God in heaven. We can ask people out and not be scared of rejection if we root our identity in Jesus and that we are his son and daughter. So if this guy rejects me and that guy rejects me, it's okay because I'm still daughter of the most high. Amen? So as I talk about not fearing rejection, I have to be honest with you. I was very scared of rejection growing up. And I think this all comes back to a week at church camp. Church camp 
just a week in the summer when a bunch of teenagers from various churches come together to learn about Jesus. That's the intention. However, to many teenagers, this weekend has, week has nothing to do with Jesus. It all has to do with finding their soulmate. I'm about to find her at this week. I think a lot of teenagers come into this week thinking not about the relationship with the Lord, but instead thinking that they're about to find Mrs. Wright. And I was no exception to this. I remember the summer after my ninth grade year, I was on the green team, and when we first split into our teams, I remember looking around, and I'm like, I found her. She's the one. Jesus, you're good. You provided her to be on my team. I was going to marry her. She was the answer to my long nights of prayer. I spent the week watching her win the games for our team because she was athletic. She was good, and I thought, we're going to fall in love. However, I did not have a conversation with her, but I was convinced then came the Thursday of camp. Just for some backstory, I was not very coordinated, nor was I very good at the games we were playing. We were in one of the last games, and I hadn't really participated a whole lot because I didn't want to embarrass myself, and this was an individual obstacle course. I remember this so vividly. I must have been looking at her, gazing into her eyes, and then I heard the worst sentence I've ever heard in my entire life. She looked at me and said, hey, little buddy, would you like to try a turn? You're laughing at my misery. I was broken. I'm like, Mrs. Quimby, the future. Oh, I should have seen this coming, looking back. She was a senior in high school. I was a freshman. She was tall and pretty. I was short and chubby. However, afterwards, I was ruined. I had been rejected. However, not every story ends this way. If this was the only possible outcome, I would tell you, men, run and hide. It's not worth it. However, I want to counter this story with a different story from my senior year of high school. To backtrack, all throughout high school, I had a crush on this same girl. She was the student body president. She was very smart, and I truly thought the world, world of her. However, after that summer at camp, I was not about to put myself out there ever again. I didn't even put myself out there. I just looked at her the first time. So throughout all four years of high school, we had a ton of classes together, and to be honest, she was probably my closest friend that was a female, but I never worked up the courage to ask her out. Then came my senior year during spring break. We all went to Disney World for a show choir competition, and after this competition, she went up to me and asked me, why did you never ask me out? I was dumbfounded. I'm like, huh? I later learned through a friend that if I would have asked, she would have said yes. I blew my opportunity. She was going to school far away in Washington, and I was talking to someone else, so I had lost my chance. The girl of my dreams would have went out with me if only I would have asked. Looking back, I'm very glad I didn't ask, because I love my wife, Taylor, very, very much, but senior year, Derek was really angry. We must be intentional in the chase. We have to actually ask someone out. Men, just ask her on a date. You don't have to be crazy, right? You don't take her to some expensive restaurant. Just ask her to get coffee and see what happens. We take dating, as in going on dates, way too seriously. Just be intentional. Put yourself out there. What's the worst that happens? She says, no, we all need rejection once in a while. It's good for our pride. And you never know. Your Cinderella could be one coffee date away. Women, do not play hard to get. If a guy works up the courage to ask you, don't run away from him. If you're not interested, that's okay. You don't have to go on a date with him. But just be real. Say, 
I'm good, but thank you for asking. That's very nice of you. Not me, but maybe my friend. Pawn him off on someone else. Just kidding, don't do that. <laughs> if you are interested, though, try to make it a little obvious, right? Like, like his Instagram posts. Give him a laugh when he tells a stupid joke. Sometimes it takes guys a while to catch on. And if you do go, if you do go on a date and it doesn't go well, that's okay. Try not to be super awkward about it. Just move on. If we're intentional about the chase and things are going well, we get to move on to mark number two, the line. Woo, the fun one. Thanks, Theodore. In our story in Song of Solomon, this couple definitely discusses sexuality. The woman is a virgin on her wedding night, but this does not mean she did not have sexual desires before that night. To be honest, some of the things they say in this story is kind of wild. The language throughout this book proves that they were definitely sexually charged before their wedding night. However, every time she starts feeling the feelings, you know, for her betrothed, she goes back to this common chorus that we read in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, listen up, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The woman is pleading with us. She's begging me with us, saying, don't start this too early. She knows that the hold and the dangers that waking up sexual relationships can have on us. Wait until God says it's okay. And guess what? There's only one time that God says it's okay. It's on your wedding night. That's the only time he pours his love on the relationship and it becomes a good idea to start a sexual relationship. There should be no sexual relationship between you until that wedding night. I think too often we ask the wrong question. We are constantly asking, how far is too far? See, we're obviously sexually charged before marriage. We constantly ask, what's okay for me to do outside of marriage? Can we kiss? Can we make out? Can we spend the night together? Can we roll around together? However, according to this woman, that is the wrong question. The proper question is not how far is too far, but when can we start? And the answer to that question is the wedding night, not a day sooner. It doesn't matter if you're engaged. Engagement changes nothing. It doesn't matter if you're convinced they're the one. Like, I'm going to marry you, then I promise you have not sat and had that covenant creating opportunity with your friends and your family and before God, so it's too soon. We must be intentional with the line in our relationships. Another way of putting this is we must be intentional about having boundaries. We're going to talk more about sex next week, so we're not going to talk a whole lot about sexual boundaries tonight, but for the purpose of tonight, I want us to understand that a healthy dating relationship does have boundaries. A huge problem that we see with dating couples is that when you date, you tend to idolize your relationship. Your relationship with your significant other is the most important thing in your life. You have blinders for the rest of your life because all you're focused on is that person in your dating life. All you do is spend your time, energy, and worry and thoughts on them. Something that makes us idolize people is crossing sexual boundaries with them. Crossing sexual boundaries glues you together with the other person, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and it makes you attached and this attachment leads you to idolizing them because they're a part of you, but they're not really a part of you because you haven't done it before God. So you feel like a part of you is missing, so you start to think and worry and stress all about them because you're kind of attached, but kind of not. And that's not natural outside of a marriage. As some of you may know, Taylor and I have a dog named Cap. 
And my dog is absolutely nuts. He loves to run in circles, and he's such a lucky dog. We have a fenced-in backyard where he can run all he wants. However, our backyard fence has one post that's broken, so he can sneak out. And the part that he sneaks out to is actually behind our garage, which is also fenced in. So he can't run away, but behind our garage is a bunch of like weeds and bushes and a bunch of bad things. I think there's like six dead animals back there. It's a mess. So usually when I let my dog out, I just let him out, and then when he barks, I come and let him in because it's fenced in and he can't run away. But there's a, there was a day he was running around for quite a while, and I'm like, where's he at? So I go to the back and I yell at him, and I see him coming from behind the garage covered in burrs. His hair's all matted together. He can't, like, walk because he's all got so much junk up in him. He's in clear pain. His face is all matted together. And then we had to spend hours, and by, me, by we, I mean mostly Taylor, to be honest, brushing him and pulling the little burrs out of him. And it hurt him so badly, he was in a lot of pain. This is like our situation with sexual boundaries. See, God has placed a fence for us. And he said, this is what's okay in regards to a sexual relationship. He says, anything that awakens love, anything that causes you to lust, so anything that charges you sexually, anything that excites you, outside of marriage is a sin. This is our fence. If it turns you on, you don't get to do it. We cannot force our way out of, or excuse me, we can force our way out of this fence. We can go behind the garage we can try to do things our own way and cross sexual boundaries. God gives us freedom, just like I give Cap. I'm not going to watch him every time I let him out. So we're free to do what we want. However, God's smarter than us. God knows that the fenced-in area is what's best for us. It's what's safest for us. Outside the fence is full of burrs that are just going to hurt you. So when we go outside the line, all we're doing is causing ourselves pain and a lot of time and energy undoing and working past these mistakes. See, it did not physically hurt Taylor or I, for my dog to get up in that mess. It didn't hurt us, but it hurt him a lot. But it did hurt my heart to see my dog in pain. I love my dog, and I did not like seeing him like that. So you know what I did right after he came in? I went and I fixed the fence because I love him and I care about him and I do not want him to be hurt. God gives us boundaries because he knows what's best for us. God does not give us boundaries to ruin our fun. It's because God doesn't want to see us in pain. If you're in a dating relationship and you're like Cap and you've been making out, rolling around, touching things you should not touch, spending all of your time together, spending the night together, having sex together, orally included, then you are outside the fence. You're getting yourself caught in burrs. But luckily for us, God doesn't leave us in our burrs. He loves us enough to come and wipe away our sin, to pull things out and to make us white as snow, to make us clean and love us despite our sin. However, after Jesus did that work of dying on a cross for us, he went and took pain for us. After he went through all that for us to clean us up, to do everything he can to clean us up, we probably shouldn't run outside the fence again, right? Because God's not dumb. We should probably stay in the fence because he did all that for us. If one or both of you cannot honor God in your relationship and have good boundaries, it might mean it's time for you to break up or get married. Jesus loves you too much for you to settle for less than his best in your relationship. And his best is amazing sex inside the covenant of marriage. 
As you develop a sexual relationship while dating, you blind yourself to this person. The purpose of dating is to figure out if this person's your spouse. And then when you figure that out, the next purpose of dating is to build a foundation for marriage. And the foundation for marriage is not sex. It cannot be because it will crumble. Guess what? You will get old and wrinkly and ugly. (laughs) Marriage is fun outside of sex. Comer says this, at some point, you want more out of a relationship than foreplay. You want a friend, a partner, a mother, or a father for your children. You want to do life together. You want to enjoy each other's companies long after your ability to make love has faded. But when you're dating, there's no way to know if you'll have that kind of chemistry until you spend a season of life together where sex is not involved. The foundation of your relationship must be friendship and a common calling and true love for Jesus and for others, and sex just blinds that and attaches you in unnatural ways. Mark number three, the friends. Thank God we made it past that one. In this book, the story is not just about our king and his lady. There's a third party involved, and that is the friends. From the very beginning of the story, they approve of this relationship. The friends tell the couple in Song of Solomon 1.4, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. This couple let other people speak into their relationship. They're not trying to figure it out by themselves. They say there's people who have dated and been married before. Maybe they have some wisdom on this situation that they can speak into me. If you're in a relationship or if you're pursuing one, let people who have done it before help you. People who have had successful relationships may be more wise than you are when it comes to having a healthy relationship. We have to have the humility to know that we do not have all the right answers. If someone tells you that there's something wrong with your relationship, that you are with the wrong person, or that your boundaries may not be wise, they're not trying to control you because guess what? It doesn't actually impact their life whatsoever what your sexual life looks like. They go throughout their day the same, but they love you enough to tell you anyways and to speak the truth to you. It's not control or anger. It is love that drives them to challenge you. They care more about your future than your feelings. They've gone through this before, and they're just looking out for you. Learn of this this week. Neuroscientists say that when we are infatuated with someone, we create someone that doesn't actually exist. We're so in love that we make excuses for all their faults and we glorify all their strengths. For example, maybe there's a guy that you're interested in and he goes to small group. You see him walking in as you walk by in Norrin Hall and your mind is racing. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy loves people so well He clearly is living a life of real devotion, real communion, real responsibility if he's in small group. He loves the Lord so much. I bet he spends all of his time in the word of God. I bet he disciples people like it's no one's business. I bet he pours out his soul for this campus. When in actuality, that's the first time they've ever gone to small group. And the only time, the reason they went to small group that evening was because it was the night that they were having free pizza and video games. Every night that they've discussed Jesus, he is slid out, but he's in for the party. But we think he's awesome because he's sexy. I was hoping for more of a laugh than that, but that's all right. Let's keep going. Maybe there's a girl in your life, and you're like, she is stunning 10 out of 10. She's everything you want in a wife. She can sing, she dresses well, she smells nice. But then your friends come up to you and you're like, bro, she kind of has an anger problem. Like, we were in the piazza and she cussed a dude out for skipping in front of her for the chicken sandwich. She's kind of angry. But you fight back. You're like, mm-mm, 
She's just passionate. She just spends time with Jesus, and sometimes it comes out in weird ways, you know? I don't even know if she was cussing. Maybe she was praying. Maybe she was speaking in tongues. What do I know? She just is passionate. This is why we need friends to speak into our dating relationships. We have blind spots. We are blinded by love, affection, or potentially by sexual relations. Of course you don't think your boundaries are too far. You're having fun passing your boundaries. You're not going to be thinking in the middle of passing boundaries, you know what, this probably isn't good. Probably should not be making out with you as you're making out with them. No, you need someone to tell you once in a while. The pleasure can blind you. Too often we think we know what's best for our lives. But experientially and scientifically, it is proven that that is not true. And this goes against our culture of individualism. But if we want to date successfully, it has to be a communal thing. We have to have people to confess to and to challenge us. This requires us to be humble and to realize we do not have everything figured out. Share your struggles in small group. If you are in a dating relationship, hear me right now. Every week in small group, you better be talking about your struggles because you weren't perfect that week. None of us are. Every week we're talking about our relationship struggles because we need help, especially when it comes to sexual boundaries. We're vulnerable for this. We don't do this just to share our dirty laundry, but because we want freedom. See, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness. God forgives us. Humans don't have to do that. God forgives us, but we confess our sins to community to experience freedom. People cannot hold you accountable if they don't know you're doing, if they do not know what's happening. How can they keep you accountable they don't know you're struggling. You have to be intentional with letting people into your relationship. Most people will not just insert themselves. Your small group leader might. Sorry. But most people in a normal human life do not do that. So if you want a healthy relationship, ask someone to speak into it. If you have a potential suitor, maybe ask your friends, do you like them? If the answer is no, maybe they're on to something. Ask people who have been in a healthy relationship for advice. Maybe they know more than you do. Mark number four of the journey. We get to the climax of the story. It's the wedding day. The wedding day is described in Song of Solomon chapter 3. We're not going to read it tonight. If you want to read it, though, it's a fun love story. The story has been leading up to this point. There's been a tension pulling us in, building us up to the wedding day. The goal has been reached. They made it. Every healthy relationship should either be headed towards or away from marriage. Dating is designed to help us figure out if this person could be our spouse. Dating just to date is stupid. It's a waste of your heart, your time, your feelings. Don't just look for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Look for a husband or a wife. However, this does not mean you have to have it figured out right away. My story's an anomaly. Again, most stories don't start with happily ever after. Take some time. Get to know them. You don't have to know if you're going to get married right away. Take time. Go on dates. But just keep the end in mind. I implore you not to date until you're ready to get married. If the point of dating is to get married, you probably shouldn't date until you're ready to get married relatively soon. For example, if you're a senior and get ready to graduate and move to Thailand next fall, you should probably not date a freshman who will be in Cedar Falls the next four years. If you're 12 years old and dating, you have to ask yourself, where is this relationship going? <laughs> you don't have to have everything figured out. Obviously, Taylor and I didn't. We got married very young. We were extremely poor. We both worked at Scratch Cupcakery. But I knew I wanted to pastor college students, and she felt called to teach. We knew there was alignment there so we could continue on. We had a lot of growing up to do, but we were willing to go on this journey of being poor and growing up together. 
This means that before you start dating, it's probably a decent idea to have a general idea of where you're going. You don't have to have all the answers, but just know a relative direction of your life so you can know if that person's on the same path. When it comes to who we marry, the Bible actually only gives us one command. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says this. This is to a woman who's looking to get married. She's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. You can marry whoever you want if they're in the Lord. They can be an artist, a teacher, an accountant. They can be tall, short, buff, or chubby, but they must follow King Jesus. That's his only command to us. If you follow Jesus, your significant other must too. It will cause you a lot less problems. Let me give you a little secret. I would say the same thing to an atheist. If you're an atheist, marry an atheist. It's going to create a lot less issues in the future and a lot less conflict. You want to be on the same page in regards to religion. If you're passionate about following Jesus, not just a following Jesus once in a while thing, you're passionate about it, you'll want them to be as well. And this is how you'll know, by what they talk about. If they never talk about God to you, they probably don't really care about God. If they don't talk to God or talk about God to you in public, they're probably not talking to God in private. We must be intentional. Every date, text, phone call, cup of coffee should either be pulling us together towards husband and wife or pulling you apart towards separation. Keep the end in mind in all times. Be intentional with how you spend your time. Work through your issues before you get married. Push past surface-level conversations. Get deep. Dig deep in your dating years to build a foundation on the rock of Jesus for your marriage. Obey what God calls you to do. Build on his foundation and your relationship will last. This means do not just play together. By this, I mean life is not going out to eat, going to the movies, and having a date every single night. You'll be broke in like a week. Life is doing work. Be intentional. Do real life together. Go to church together. Cook together. Clean together. Balance your finances together. In marriage, you're not constantly going on dates. You need to replicate this in your dating life by doing things that are not necessarily fun together. It's easy to be joyful if you're on The Bachelor in Hawaii. I think you could probably fall in love with anyone if you're on the beach, right? harder to fall in love when you're unloading the trailer. Join our Setup Teardown team. You'll find your future spouse. I'm just kidding. That's not accurate. I shouldn't have said that. Also, have intentional conversations. Ask each other hard questions. Ask, where do you see this going? Here's my two cents. This is not biblical, right? So don't get mad at me. This is just my personal opinion. I'm not saying it's law. But I think after six months of being together, I think you know whether or not you should get married. And if you don't think you know after six months, I think you know. You just might not like the answer. If you're not convinced you can spend your life with this person after six months, I don't think you ever will be. Maybe you're single and you're wondering, how does this apply to me? Do the work now. Work through your struggles now. Work through your addictions now. Do not bring an addiction into marriage. If you're addicted to pornography, you should not get married. If you're addicted to alcohol or drugs, you should not get married. Addictions, you can only have one spouse, right? And if you're addicted to something, that's your spouse for now. And until you break that chain, don't try to bring someone else in. Polygamy is frowned upon in Chi Alpha world and other worlds. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than any romantic relationship, so work on that first. Plus, it's kind of hard for Jesus to trust you with another person if he can't trust you to take care of your own spiritual walk.
You do not have to be perfect, but before seeking a relationship, you should probably build yourself on solid ground. Read the Bible, pray, spend time with Jesus first, and seek a relationship later. In all this, though, we need to remember that dating cannot be our everything. Yes, please go on the chase, go on dates. Be intentional and have healthy boundaries. Intentionally let friends in your relationship. Keep the end in mind and be intentional about where the relationship is going. However, do not make romance your idol. You must be intentional in your dating lives because the rising action of our love story is dating with intentionality. The rising action of our love story is dating with intentionality. If you're in a relationship in here, be intentional to not idolize your significant other. They cannot be the center of your universe. Your boyfriend or girlfriend is simply not good enough to hold the place of God in your life. They will fall short. They will come up empty every single time. They're not good enough to be your whole world. Not only must you be intentional in not idolizing your significant other, you must be intentional with how you date. You must be intentional about the chase. Men, put yourself out there. Be willing to be rejected. Women, do not play hard to get. Do not play mind games. Be honest and obvious with people. You must be intentional with the line. You must be intentional with some questions. Maybe like, how much time do you spend together? If you spend every waking moment together, they're probably your idol. Have better lines. When is your curfew? You should not be with, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. That's why I go to bed then. You probably shouldn't be with your boyfriend or girlfriend at 1 a.m. Just being honest. Ask, what are, what's our fence? What's our sexual boundaries? Be intentional about these things. Intentionally allow other people to speak into your relationship. Ask for advice. Let people challenge you. Let them point out your blind spots. Finally, in all dating, date with intentionality about the end. Dating should be a journey to figure out if he or she is the one. Keep in mind the end throughout the whole process. If you'll stand with me. See, we are in a generation where dating is harder than ever. It's so much easier just to get this dating fix from porn, from Tinder, from some quick, easy solution. But dating well with intentionality is anything but quick and easy. Got to be intentional. Imagine what would happen if we were intentional, though. We would see healthier marriages because we are intentional in building a healthy foundation in our dating lives. We would see far fewer couples getting divorced because we'd have worked through these issues before we got married. So one of two things will happen. Either you'll work through the issue and figure it out and figure out how to have conflict. If you can't fight with each other, you can't be married. Fighting happens. So either A, you're going to figure that out, or you're going to tick each other off so much you break up. Work through it before you get married because there's no getting out of that. Marriage is forever. Dating can end like that. Who you marry is probably the second most important choice you'll ever make in your life outside of following King Jesus. It's too heavy of a choice to screw up. If we were intentional, we'd see far less broken homes. We'd see far less kids without a dad or a mom in the picture. Do you care about your future son or daughter? Don't marry a terrible dad or mom for them. Imagine if we were intentional about not idolizing our significant others. 
we didn't idolize them, we could focus on more things than just dating. Dating's not even that fun, so why focus on it all the time? There's more to your life than just finding a Prince Charming or a Cinderella. If we want our love story to have a successful rising action, we must date with intentionality. The response team will come up front. So every week at Chi Alpha, we like to ask two questions to end our service. And the first question is for those of you, if you're honest with yourself, all these ideas about dating and here in a churchy environment, and you're like, I don't even know if I know Jesus, let alone if I should date the way Jesus tells me to. Let me tell you this. Think about my dog, all covered in burrs, all jacked up. What Jesus did is we were all like that in our sins, not just sexual sins, but a lot of sins. And what Jesus did is he cleaned us up, he brushed off the dirt, and he said, I'll take the pain. I'll take the punishment for your mistakes. Yes, you ran outside the fence, but you know what? I'll take that pain for you. He died on a cross and he lived a perfect life for us. And then he rose again three days later and conquered our mistakes. This Jesus wants a relationship with you. And if everyone will close their eyes and bow their heads, if you're here and you're honest with yourself and you don't have a relationship with this Jesus yet and you want him to clean you up, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just as an act of saying, Jesus, come clean me up. One, two, three. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I thank you that you did the dirty work of cleaning us up so we don't have to, God. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for loving me despite my sins. I thank you for loving my brothers and sisters in this room despite our flaws. We love you so much, King Jesus. Thank you for these new members in your kingdom. We love you so much. Amen. The second way you can respond is if you're here and you're either single and really struggling with it and not setting a good foundation. Maybe you're in a relationship and it's not healthy and you're missing the mark on these four marks. I want to invite you. We've got people who would love to pray with you about that. You don't have to share all your dirty laundry if you don't want to. But there's people up top, people down here who would love to talk with you and pray over your relationship or lack thereof and pray over your life. So if you're interested in that, while we sing this last song, you can go and talk to them and pray with them. I'm going to pray as we enter into this last song. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I just thank you for everything you've done for us, God. Thank you for giving us the blueprint of how to date well. Thank you for making dating and love and romance not be the center of our lives because it doesn't measure up. Only you do, King Jesus. We love you so much.